It's me. It's me. It's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. And by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws. And you're listening to the VOC Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you. Suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. Stadium Journey podcast, proud to be part of the VOC Nation radio network. And Stadium Journey is more than just a wicked awesome podcast, as you know. Our website, stadiumjourney.com, has over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and great features, like the one I wrote today on the Cyclodrome. Go check that out. We're also all over social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, follow us, subscribe, everywhere. We appreciate it. If you need something to do when the world locks back down again, you can always binge listen to the podcast. Just type in VOC Nation Radio Network into your podcast search app or go to stadiumjourney.com, look under the podcast tab, and there we are. In addition, all of our old video podcasts are on the Stadium Journey YouTube channel. And as some of you may know, if you're there right now, we stream live on twitch.tv slash danlaw83. And welcome to everyone watching there right now. Don't be afraid to participate. And now, let me take a minute and introduce our starting lineup. We've got Dave Cotney. You can follow him online at ProFan9. Mark Viquez can be found at Ballpark Hunter. Our producer, the above-average comedian, Dan Calachico, is online at DanLaw83. And I'm Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. Tonight, we are very pleased to be joined by Brian Cooper, the chairman of MKTG Canada. Now, I'm not sure my typical intro will do him justice. So I found a bio, Brian, online. I'm going to read this for a second. So Brian Cooper, chairman of the award-winning marketing agency, MKTG Canada, and former senior executive of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, is an inductee to the Sponsorship Marketing Council of Canada's Hall of Fame. Cooper launched and built MKTG Canada, broking over $1 billion in sponsorship and spearheading its sale to Dentsu Aegis. Prior to that, he served as VP business development and operations for MLSE, helping launch the Toronto Raptors expansion franchise. He also serves as chair of Canada Basketball, the Hockey Canada Foundation, is an advisor to the Wayne Gretzky Foundation, and sits on the advisory board of Playmaker Capital. Other previous roles include 
president of the, of the 1991 Grey Cup winning Toronto Argonauts. The Globe and Mail has previously named Cooper one of the 25 most influential figures in Canadian sports. Wow. And he's on the Stadium Journey podcast tonight. Brian, thanks for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to be with you guys. So uh, I'm going to start off with, with, a, with a real softball question. So can you explain what a sports marketer does to some of our listeners who may not exactly know the ins and outs of sports marketing? Well, it, it depends what it's, it's basically it's the business of sport, not the player contracts, not anything to do with the, you know, baseball or football or NHL operations. It is everything to do with venue operations, merchandising, food and beverage, sponsorship, broadcast, all of those contracts, all of the inter inner workings of those things. When you look at, I'll give an example, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, uh, one of the powerhouses in North America, five teams, uh, three different venues, a couple of restaurants on top of that, and they used to have two broadcast networks, 725 employees. Of those 725, about 500 are running the business side of it. And it's, 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 you know, everything from an event team uh, to a merch team to their own construction crew. Uh, it is a big, big business. And sports, as you know, is a big business across North America and around the world. You know, it was some 40 years ago uh, that, you know, I, was, I, I had an undergraduate degree in uh, accounting and I was working for a public accounting firm. And like you guys, I loved sports. And, you know, I, you know, I was a basketball player and uh, not of note. And uh, I just, you know, got interested in how does this work? And there was a guy um, that started IMG, Mark, uh, I can't remember, I'm losing his name right now, but it was the biggest uh, sports uh, company in the world. And he started out as Jack Nicholas's agent. And then he started going into sponsorship and an endorsement contracts. Then he started representing venues. And so uh, I was enamored with that. And at the time, there was no internet. And I was just looking up newspapers and microfiche in the library, but trying to learn more about sports marketing. And the more I got into it, is it's like every other business. And by the way, it's not like, you know, you're, you're in there, you're hanging out with athletes and you're just talking about last night's game. At 9.05, it's the grind like every other goddamn job. And, you know, you're going to work hard. Not only that, if you're working for a team, uh, a franchise, you're working, you know, you're getting there in an eight. You're going to work a full day. You're going to take a dinner break. And then you go into a game that you're working out again. And you're leaving at 11. So, and the next day you're, you're waking up because... There's a hockey game that night. And so it is a grind. It's a young person's game, but it's really rewarding. And it's, you know what, I've been very, very fortunate. I've been surrounded by a lot of smart people that have, uh, uh, I've benefited from. Yeah, that's some advice. I mean, I've worked in, you know, event management. I worked for a couple of teams, I worked for the Patriots and the Paw Sox, as our listeners know. Um, and, you know, the kids out of college were expecting to come in, work for the Paw Sox and, uh, yeah, hang with the players or do something like that. Like, no, nah, that doesn't happen. In fact, when I worked for the Patriots, we were expressly forbid, forbidden to talk to the players. So to talk and to the players, nobody yeah. can understand that. Like, so if Tom Brady came up to you after the game and said, hey, Paul, I love what you did, you know, grilling those sausages today. Let's, let's go have a beer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that shit ain't happening. No. <laughs> 
But you know what? Look, at the same time, it is exciting because I could tell you that no one's going into, you know, Citicorp or uh, any big bank and like rooting for them at night on TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, there is that whole team element to it, and it's and it's you're part of a club, and so and it's a limited club. You know, there's only 32 NFL teams, and there's only 32 basketball and 30 hockey, and so. It when you go to a, a cocktail party on Saturday night, no one's talking to the goddamn banker. Oh, I uh, yeah, I can know, I can vote know, they, for they, that. They, they, yeah, yeah, they're they're saying like, what? How did it go in sports this week? So anyway, it's been pretty interesting. Oh, absolutely. Thirty years in psychology, and all the people all ever want to talk about when they know what I've been doing is so. Oh. You work for the Patriots? What was that like? Or, or now, you know, I, now I, you know, do some announcing for a couple teams and, oh, let's talk about that. How about, yeah, how about all this exactly. stuff I went to school for? How about well, the stuff that if it made you feel any better when you uh, announced that you were working for the NWHL, I didn't care. You're lying. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's, let's, let's keep going on that, on that strand. Um, Brian, you talked about like what the, what the typical day was, which seems atypical for us nine to fivers. Um, when you when you hit the when you hit game time, what would that what would that look like? Are you it's looking kind, for flyers to put doing. out or? Well, it depends what you're doing. I mean, like when I was with the Argos, I was president of the team. You hitting game time, you know, you probably have two owners, if not all three at the goddamn game. So you're managing up and making sure that everything that they need is taken care of. They've probably brought a couple of celebrity uh, friends of theirs as well. You're making sure that that's connected to the broadcasters that know that at X time during this quarter, that the camera should go onto the box because that's what they're gonna be. And you're gonna have someone in the box to make sure that they're up front on the box. Then you're gonna make sure that, you know, what are we doing in merch sales? What, you know, make sure that the lineups at food and beverage aren't too long. If so, you got to put more staff on it and redeploy staff from someone else. Uh, and then, you know, you're hoping you're going to win the goddamn game. And so, you're, you know, you're going down on the field to make sure everything is good there. And you're dealing with the general manager who doesn't really want to do anything with you because you're a suit and I'm a football guy. So go screw um, you know, on a Raptor game, it was it was a different thing because we sucked, and uh, we were launching a franchise uh, that this wasn't a sophisticated basketball market, and they clapped more for the mascot than they did for the players. And you know, they they would be waving behind the baskets when we were shooting a foul shot, in distracting our players. So it was an educational thing. Uh, and, you know, and, and basketball is, you know, there's music playing as they're on defense. So that's everything from picking out the music to it's, it is a uh, dynamic and really you have to be flexible situation because it's a live game. When, you know, when people go to the theater, you go to Les Mis, a Phantom of the Opera, Hamilton, you know that the ending that you're going to walk out of there, no one's going to potentially got really seriously injured or set a world record or something phenomenal that happened that never happened before in sport that can happen. So you need to be completely prepared and you need to be prepared for the worst scenarios. And I was doing the world championships basketball in 1994 and the Cuban team, I had four guys defect 
And so, and then, you know, I get this phone call at 10 o'clock that we got four guys that are missing. You know, somebody from Mississauga, which is another part of the outside of Toronto, had shepherded these guys out and they were hiding them. And, you know, the in, intel were, you know, so now we have the RCMP. And so, like, you're dealing with this and, and there's a game going on. So it's, it's, you know, when you're in that team sport or and not even team sport, any sport, it's a dynamic situation. So you, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. Wow. That, that, you must, uh, you must've like just totally crashed when it came to vacation time. <laughs> I drank a lot, but yeah, I did. <laughs> now, you know what I did? And, you know, unfortunately probably my family suffered for it uh, just because, your down season is when your business season really starts because you're renewing contracts with sponsors. You're uh, looking at new uh, uh, prototypes of merchandise. That's going to, you know, we want a new Jersey because we need to sell more. They, you know, we peaked out on the existing jerseys and, and you're applying to the league to get that done. It's a, uh, there, there's not a lot of downtime and I feel sorry. And I, I, I still speak to the, because I'm still doing business with the MLS and, e and the Raptors and hockey and uh, and just from the roles that I'm playing now. But I, th there's no downtime with this COVID thing. They're like, you know, one season ended, you know, they got four weeks and they're in that time they're preparing for the opening of the next season. Tough times. Yeah. 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 And, and you're always like reacting Oh, this is coming out and, and we're reacting. We're negotiating with the government. We can't, we can't do this the way we thought we were going to, or, you know, we're going to have to change our travel so that we're only playing in Canada. I, it well, just I seems tell you that, that, well, MLS and E is a company that makes, I think about 160 million a year. They're going to lose about 120 million a year. If, you know, to this year, this time frame, and, and uh, they're privately owned and it's two telcos. And Larry Tannenbaum, who was my partner, I was I started a company with Larry called Inside Sports uh, that uh, we were partners in, and I mean they can all afford to lose that, uh, but no one likes losing that type of check. So, uh, so with Insight, uh, you guys, if I have this right, you guys basically started uh, a few TV projects. Is that do you I have that right? It was a yeah, it was a uh, network. Uh, we owned four networks. We started them. Uh, and then we also had a production company. So we did about, I think at our peak, we did about 400 hours of uh, sports broadcast uh, a year. Most of it shoulder programming, not live sport. Uh, and then we owned, we, I, we started Gold TV Canada, the NHL Network. Uh, we were one of the original founders. Uh, NHL Network, Gold TV Canada, the World Fishing Network, uh, Gaming Network. And there was one other one. I can't remember it now. We ended up selling it to uh, Cronky, um, to Sam Cronky, uh, Denver Nuggets. He ended up buying them all. But I, uh, Larry bought me out at one point. Uh, but it was good. We had, you know, we did the, we did a, a thing called Gold Rush, where we followed the selection of the Olympic team 2002 uh, Utah. Uh, the, the selection of the Canadian team, Wayne was the general manager. So the, the, the project was supposed to be from the tryouts to the selection. And that was it. We, we, and it was just going to be the, you know, the, the, the picking, I think we were calling it. 
Wayne insisted or convinced me, he said, you got to go all the way through the Olympics. And I said, Wayne, that's like, you know, it's Olympic footage rights are crazy. And, you know, to get access and cameras for the quality of production we want to do. And, and, and by the way, no one buys, you know, I, I said, How, you know, what if we'd lose? He goes, oh, we're winning this, we're winning this. And I'm like, well, no one, bu no one fucking buys Silver Rush. You know, they'll buy Gold Rush, but right. if, if we lose this, you know, I'm going to lose a fair amount of money. You know, we took the, we rolled the dice and we won it. Uh, I had a backup plan of, you know, the, the backup plan was going to be the, a documentary of what went wrong. And in Canada, when like, if you don't win gold, it's like, well, we got problems. <laughs> we got big problems. Well, wasn't that, so, the, wasn't that the first one that they won? Wasn't that the first yeah, Olympic? 2002, first one in 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and there had been some some close calls, like the year that uh, that Lindros decided not to play in the NHL. He went and played in the Olympics, and uh, they had Joe Juno, and, and that was they over had a, Nagano, a decent shot that year. Yeah, that was Nagano. That was Wayne, yeah. when Wayne was still playing. And yeah, Nagano's right. when they trashed the hotel. Or was that the right, because that and, – and, and that one when uh, – Both. That yeah. one, when Wayne was still playing, that was the one where they didn't—he didn't take the penalty shot. Yeah, Ray Borg took took the penalty shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think we had a royal commission on whether or not Wayne right, should yeah, have taken exactly. the penalty shot. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you, you know, you said you uh, you started this um, inside sports and 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 built up these TV networks and then ended up selling. Uh, mm -hmm. What's What's that like at the end? Like, do you feel like, like you've really accomplished something? Do you feel like you're not quite done? Does it feel like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, this this makes emotions. It's good this to move emotions. on. You know, it, well, it's mixed emotions. I mean, when you build something, I'm sure you guys have built something, and then you know you had to let go. Oh, I'll give an example. You you have a kid. You put, you know, 18 years of doing everything for the kid, and all of a sudden they're like, "See ya," and you're going, "I wish." <laughs> I wish. <laughs> sorry, but, you know, sorry. It, it, it is, it is, it is like that because it's, you know, you're doing it. You become emotionally attached, and uh, now look, the money at the end of it, you know, sort of makes you feel better, but <laughs> the money's not everything. You know, money's not everything, so. You know, there's an emotional attachment. and But you know what? I firmly believe, especially with this generation, these kids growing up now, you know, we all may have gone through four or five different jobs, maybe seven, like myself, problem child. These kids, they're switching every two years, every three years now. And it's, you know, and, and money doesn't work for them. I mean, they're, they're just like, you know, I want to find a different challenge. I don't find something that I'm passionate about. Which I always, I say to my, my young guys, you know what? If, if you're if you're passionate about it you're never going to feel like you worked you're just doing it and you know i did it because I, I, like you guys i'm passionate about sport and, but you also realize that you know i could never go to a game now and i still can you know i used to go to a game with my buddies and like you know we'd have a bunch of pops and you know, have a good time well, i can't do that and because I'd have people coming up to me and they want to, you know, you know, I have to be coherent and, and, you know, they want to talk business and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. Why don't you move on? Well, yeah, I think, oh, you, 
definitely not on that scale, but I think we can relate because that when we're going to games, we're like, okay, well, so what's the what's the washroom size and what's on the menus and we're taking pictures yeah. of this oh, and that. Oh, absolutely. It's totally yeah. it's totally different. <laughs> when we were doing a. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Because you have a business interest in it, because you have a different perspective. When we were looking at building the uh, what is now Scotiabank Arena, and we went, I think we did 17 arenas. Like we went around to find what is the best of the band. Because you know, every year they come out like. You know, you look at Skydome now compared to Camden Yards or something like it's a joke. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> you, you become well, you become dated yeah. so very quickly and because yeah. some guy has or the collective uh, experience by different populations say, I want intimate. I want better. I don't want hot dogs and peanuts. I want, you know, this great steakhouse. Give me the great steak sandwich. I'll pay 19 bucks. Yankee Stadium. I forget the name of that steak. That thing is fantastic. The steak sandwich. So, you know, it's, you, you, you go out there and do these things and it quickly changes. Yeah. Toronto's still like that too. It's like, it's, it's whatever's cool at the moment, right? It's, yeah. it's very hot and cold. Wait a second. All these guys have these other ballparks over there that that people say are cool. Well, suddenly the ninth wonder of the world is not cool anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Camden Yards destroyed everybody's uh, concept of a ballpark or a stadium. So, post Camden, pre Camden, Sky Dome, Comiskey Park in Chicago suffered that fate uh, with design and construction. However, Skydome did get it right by placing it downtown with walkable yes. distance. So they did that right. Yeah, but Mark, you, you, I think what changed was intimacy yes. became better. Bigger, bigger isn't better any longer. No. Right. And, you know, and also multi-use. You know, we, look, we played the Raptor games. We started out in Skydome. I, I saw a game there. Their sec, first, second really? year. Second year. God I, bless you. Yeah, it was six dollars a ticket. You sat all the way up on top. Yeah, yeah. It was, that and was my know, only time. It was, it was, it was a difficult venue. I mean, that that venue is even when we played football there, unless it's full attempting, you got to be fully full. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it, 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 you get lost. The the energy gets lost in the atmosphere because the the the, the great gate of the roof, the grade of the roof is terrible, and the sound is terrible. I, I was too snobby. I never – my first Raptors game was actually at Maple Leaf Gardens, of all places. Oh, even better. I, 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 was, I, was, there. I was too snobby to go to, <laughs> to the, to the, uh, to the Skydome to see the – I don't want to see a basketball game there. So, yes. yeah, they, they played a handful at Maple Leaf Gardens, and, and that was yes, my, my first one, second year, I believe. Yeah, it was um, the second year. So let's, let's, let's stick with the Raptors, if that's okay. Uh, what, what was your, what was your time frame? What was your time frame with the Raptors? So, uh, uh, five years, 
so were you there when the um when the ownership changed i was there i was one of the day one employees uh right. so uh, yeah i was there when alan and uh when alan and uh, john bought it from excuse me when alan joined john in the beginning and then when larry took it over it was actually steve stavros uh that, right. uh took it over at that point and larry right. was involved with steve yeah so uh the raptors coming on the scene was a was a whole new ball game for toronto um mm-hmm. and i think in hindsight it's fair to say that um in marketing the raptors uh you really wanted to to set your own sort of footprint and not follow kind of what had been toronto before um, how hard was it to do that? Like, how hard was it to decide, you know, we want to go with uh, purple and and black and red as our colors as opposed to blue, which is everything Toronto? Well, we, we tried to, and I give a lot of credit to John Bitsope, the original owner. Um, we tried to do everything that was different. Uh, look, the, the, you, as you say, the, the Jays, blue and white and the, the leaves blue and light white, but not only that, their audience male and white and older. Uh, and we were going to, I mean, the first NBA game ever was played in Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, Toronto Huskies against the New York Knicks in 1946. And oh, wow. that we had, we had a, somewhat of a, a base of avid fans that knew the game. The majority didn't the, at the time. Uh, you know, the Jays uh, had just come off 93. Uh, the Leafs were still losing, but they're still the Leafs, right? There's a legacy thing there that no matter what, uh, it's like the Cubs, it's like the Sox. I mean, those fans ain't going away. And but in they, the, in the 90s, they were in the conference finals. 93. Yeah, 90, 93, right. right, right. So they were still, yeah, Gilmore, Gretzky, the high step. But, <laughs> you know, but... You know, we were coming in with this new product, and we uh, said, one, we're going to suck, so we need to entertain them. And that's why the, the Raptor and the music and all the, the dance team and the people running up and down the aisles and the video board, we programmed more so than we did the team, just from our perspective, the, the game ops. Because we knew that's the only way we we're going to keep fans, that... I'm going to this game. Yeah, they lost, but what a great time I had. And there are a lot of young people there. And, you know, the changing face of this country is we're a brown country. I mean, there are new immigrants coming. There's 410,000 new immigrants that come to Toronto every year. And the majority of them come from basketball playing countries, whether it's the Philippines or China or uh, the Bahamas or whatever. There's a lot of that's there. Soccer and basketball are bigger than hockey. That's for sure. And baseball. And so that's who we were appealing to with a, with a lower ticket price to your point, Mark, six dollars for the for the ticket going in there. And and we could fill that place as much as we could. Uh, So we went the completely opposite direction. We were going to be the new kids on the block that were bolter. They were going to take chances. And some of the things flopped. I mean, we tried shit. And, you know, you try so much and throw it against the wall. And, yeah, yes, it works. Or, or no, it doesn't. And we'd have a, you know, a post game and say, okay, what worked? And, you know, we could tell by the, the applause uh, that we had a, a track sound. The NBA tracks your sound. How loud the, uh, the 
volume of the uh, music is. If you're 85 decibels, I think you're going to get fined. And, but we'd also track the sound of the, the applause reaction. And so we would know, we'd go back and say, okay, what does this do? Uh, so we marketed completely different than those other two teams because we knew we'd probably only get 24% of their audience and that we were getting new people in. And if you look at the Raptors today, they've been sold out for forever. Uh, and, but if you go to the game, you know, there's more equality of women to men, without a doubt. It's a much younger crowd, a Blue Jay crowd. You know, they need an EMS truck outside there because for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, is, is, it is a changing audience. And so that started earlier back then. They're super fan. I don't know if you ever seen Nod Badia. He's yep. an East Indian yes. guy who wears a yep. turban. We purposely put the camera on him. He was front row. Very successful businessman. He's got the largest Hyundai dealership in North America. And we kept putting it on him. And there's another guy. Who was a, this guy was an accountant who started off the game. He was fine. By the middle of the third quarter, he had his shirt open. And he jiggled his belly. And he had written Raptors on it. So we just kept going back to the dichotomy of these two guys. But anyway, it was a, a different crowd, a different marketing approach. And, and Nav Badia now is like, he's an Uber celebrity, right? Like I... I was at, um, they had uh, a bunch of NCAA basketball games at, uh, at Scotiabank last year. And, and who was the highlight, the celebrity guy they brought in? It was Navbadia. And he's walking around, he's got a ring and everybody's he's showing everybody and, you know, he's getting pictures with everybody. And if you were to say, you know, a, a non-celebrity guy is being brought in to be a celebrity, it, I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense, right? You would never believe it. gives the players it. free cards. It gives the players free cards, right, and their family. So he gets very close with the players. Yeah, he's got a massive hunt idea. Mark, you had a question? Yeah, I guess uh, the question I had, uh, when you're comparing the fan base, you said that uh, the Blue Jay fans a little bit different. Uh, are they the type of fans that want to see a winner and nothing else? Well... Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, three years ago, the, the, the Rogers put some money into the team, into the pitching, and, 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 and overspent, and they started winning, and they brought back a younger audience. Mm-hmm. It was a hip thing to do. The, the following year, they did a sell-off. They were losing. I mean, you know, like, winning is the magical marketing. You, you're a marketing genius when you start winning. And the, the thing is, you have to market for the days that you, and the mm-hmm. years that you're not going to win. And so, you know, how do you do that? And I got to say, the Toronto Maple Leafs have done a tremendous job on that. And what they build on is generational devotion and legacy. And they bring out the older players. And they, and they build their younger players up. But, you know, they haven't won anything for quite some time. 67, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I was, last time I was in Toronto was 2015. It was right during uh, the first round of the playoffs. And that place was packed. It was exciting. That's all you heard on the radio uh, were the Jays. Um, I remember being up there in 93 as a kid on vacation. You had 50,000 people at the Sky Dome. Quiet. Oh, no, it was. <laughs> well, and you know what? I got to It was tell exciting you. again. Well, it was exciting. And for us and all these things, Canada, look, I'm a dual citizen. I've been up here and, and uh, born in New York, moved up here. Uh, after I, after school and after work, uh, 
we have this inferiority complex and at any time we can beat you at your own fucking game we're gonna we, we're gonna be pounding our chest because you know we're living next to you know the biggest and greatest and most powerful country in the world and you know it's you know the mouse and the elephant so anytime you know we won the series it was it was not only about our civic pride uh it was about a national thing so when you're uh when you're in the uh in the marketing game and suddenly things change for the team and like with the Raptors, suddenly you get a guy like Vince Carter come along. Mm. How, how much does that change your, your focus in, in, uh, in selling the team? Well, you don't know until year two that he, or, or after the first quarter of the season that, okay, we got something here we can work with. Uh, and then there's, you know, your GM, depending who your GM is saying, you know what, I don't want to focus on that player. Uh, you know, the other guys are going to get upset. And so, you know, and, and no, you're not doing the 30 second spot focused on him. And so it depends who you have in the seat. And like Messiah is fantastic. Uh, but, you know, we went through a couple, a couple of bad GMs and, you know, that, that were all about the sanctity of, the game and not realizing this is a business. So, you know, it is, it does change once you have a, a, you know, you have a star coming up and look, we had a bunch of them from Tracy McGrady and, and Chris Bosch and Anthony Davis. And like, we had a, we had a, a bunch of really good players at times. Um, but Vince was a game changer. And you've been doing this for, for quite a while, Brian. Um, how has that changed the, the marketing versus uh, the, the uh, team ops over the years? Well, it has changed. You know what? And it's a good question. Uh, GMs realize uh, GMs are hired to be fired. And they realize that, you know, if they don't deliver or the team doesn't deliver on the court, that they need all the marketing help that they can get uh, because it'll preserve them for staying in the seat. Uh, so uh, I think it has become better. There's still a definite division. There's a definite division in it. And, uh, but at the same time, if you have a good GM and, and what has changed, and I'll tell you, Paul, it used to be the GMs ran the teams. Now there's a president of basketball or a president of hockey, then there's a GM, then there's the coach. And so the president is the one that really now liaises on the business side of it and then puts it down to the GM. So, and, and that is only in the last six years where you're having this hierarchy change that the GM used to be the guy. I was on the phone this, uh, this afternoon with a guy named Brian Burke whose book I'm reading is a good friend of mine. And he's one of those GMs that he says, you know what? Uh, there's uh, only room for two hands on the steering wheel and they're both mine. And that's why he got fired from Maple Leaf Sport and Entertainment. He said that to George Cope, who was the president of Bell Media, who was one of the telcos that owned it, at a board meeting. And they're like, they're going like, yeah, really? <laughs> Guess who's taking the wheel and it ain't Jesus. Well, you know, everyone reports to somebody, right? We all got a... So, yeah. you know, it's that hierarchy's changed now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
uh, are we uh, are we ready to switch over to a little bit more nostalgia, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Argos talk? Are we good with that? Whatever okay. You guys want. So uh, we mentioned that at the beginning that you were the president of the Argos, um, and and most people probably don't know this. The Argos were absolutely hideous throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, a good chunk of the 80s, uh, and the uh, a big turnaround was when they were purchased by Bruce McNall, John Candy, and Wayne Gretzky. And if I've got my math right, that's when that's when you came in. Mm-hmm. So so what was it like uh, to be in that that extremely famous um, ownership group with them? Right, like they were. You're talking about celebrities. They started as the celebrities. And they brought others in. What was what was that like on a working with those? Well, guys? you know, look, it was it, it wasn't easy. Uh, you know, I had the king of comedy, and John, much loved across North America, around the globe, and like John's a really really smart guy. Like, you know, he, he's a comedian, but he knows a lot of shit about history. I mean, he's just one of those guys that, know, that knows a lot of things. But the king of comedy is quick witted, like that. Uh, and you had the, the king of hockey and Wayne. And then you had Bruce, who was like the king of sports. At the time, I think he was also chairman of the board of the NHL uh, at that at that point in time. And so, you know, he was trying to replicate the move that he did with bringing Wayne down to L.A. and turning, you know, like I used to go to L.A. and we'd be in the forum club before a game and like there'd be Schwarzenegger be over here and, you know, Goldie Hawn be sitting here. And, you know, you're, you know, he's introducing all these stars and he was using that whole celebrity bullshit. And to, to make this the cool thing. And so he does it with Rocket. The, 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 the problem with the, that ownership group was uh, Toronto in LA. And uh, they don't fall for it that quickly. And, you know, he spent $4 million US upfront. We had to pay upfront to Rocket. Uh, and he beat Rocket was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft that year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden, Rocket's in my office with his mother, who is another story. And <laughs> and you know, like, and he's not the most. Uh, he doesn't want to meet the media. He's a shy kid. I mean, fast, good hands. He's fantastic in ND. But uh, and now I'm four million behind the gun. I haven't sold a ticket yet. And so, you know, I got to make up the 4 million plus and, you know, other expenses on top of that. So it was difficult. And, you know, John and Wayne and, and Bruce, I'll say this, they were fantastic and anything I wanted, you know, they gave to me. I don't know if you remember the opening night and Dave, you may have remembered it. And it was, you know, we probably had 50,000 people there. We had the Blues Brothers on stage. We had Margot Hemingway dancing on stage. We had like all these stars had come up. Jimmy Kelly was up in from uh, Buffalo, and like it was like it was a magical evening, and we won the game. In fact, we went undefeated that whole season. We we're at at home. We were ten and zero at home, and you know we started bringing fans back, and we had halftime shows that were really good, and uh, so it was a mix of entertainment. It's not unlike the Raptors, but a little bit different because it was football. Um, but you know, the problem with those owners is. Bruce, who went to jail for six and a half years for stealing $220 million, uh, was running the business. 
Wayne is a close buddy of mine, uh, had invested money. John had invested money, but it was capped at a million dollars. Wayne and Bruce were in LA. John was in my office every day. 10 o'clock, John come rolling in. And now it's comedian wants to run football team. Mm. And, you know, he, you know, we did a commercial and he, he says, I got this guy, Chris, Chris Columbus. You know, he can direct this. Hey, this guy directed Uncle Buck and Home Alone. Or, and then I get a bill for $90,000. I had like, my, my, I was doing a 30 second spot. I had like $27,000 I was going to do. In fact, I got an award for it from the New York advertising. I don't know where it is group for, for the spot we did. But, you know, John was like trying to help. And it, like when we did the Blues Brothers, you know, he brings in Jimmy Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and good Tom Murphy and all these guys. And I got a bill for it. <laughs> so it was like, and then Bruce is going, well, you know, control the expenses. And I'm like, control John. <laughs> and they wouldn't say anything to John. So that, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I managed up more than I did down. You know, I had a staff, I have a pretty large staff at the, the club, but I spent more time managing the three owners. So it was, it was like, they're great guys. And Wayne to this day is a good buddy. I just spoke to him this weekend, but it, it's, it, it was difficult. It was difficult. Uh, I guess my question is, I grew up a John Candy fan. I remember when he bought the team. I saw the 20-minute video that Dave sent us out the other day. Uh, just that to talk about the, the, TSN, uh, the TSN the TSN thing on, on John Candy and uh, uh, and the Argonauts. Yeah, yeah, Dave actually gave us homework. For I gave him homework. Yeah, <laughs> just how dedicated he was. I, I just want to know, is, is there a story about John Candy that the public may not know about that you'd like to share? There's a lot of fucking stories. Well, I'm sure there's a lot, but one that's you know, safe and sound. John, John uh, was probably one of the most generous people and one of the kindest and most respectful people. Respected, you know, he, he was just treated everybody the same. Loved the players. Would be in the locker room. Loved the players. Uh, he, you know, I I don't have it in this office, but, you know, he... he at the end of the game, he'd be holding a helmet up and be going out to the stands. And all John had to do was look at, in the stands and raise his eyebrow on one of his faces, and the place would go crazy. He was the most beloved, like, he's like, everyone has that friend that is, you know, does nothing wrong. And that was John to all of Canada. And so, you know, he would do anything. And I, I could tell you one thing, one story. We, they had blackouts. If the, if the stadiums weren't sold, uh, they would black out the local broadcasts. So we'd be, we'd go in. We had at the time we had Lee Iacocca's jet. John, had, this is another expense. Uh, Lee Iacocca's jet. We fly into the game, and uh, they they they're shy seven thousand tickets. John would get up at six in the morning. I'd go with them, and we'd hit every radio and TV show saying. Get out there and say, and we'll buy these tickets. We're breaking. Then we call up uh, blackout breakers. We, we, everyone, come on, support your team. And they'd lift the blackout that afternoon. And he did it in every team we played for. He was passionate about the CFL. He was passionate about the Argos. He grew up in Scarborough, and so that that he, born in Winnipeg, grew up in Scarborough. He loved the team, and so, and not only that, uh, you know, beyond that. Every, he knew every member of the staff. He knew him better than I did. 
because he didn't do anything. I did. But he knew every member of the staff. I mean, he was phenomenal. I, I can't say enough about John, to be honest with you. Now, he could also have a really good time a lot. And so, you know, it never held that against him, but he'd be up the next morning ready to go. Wow. That. So, impressive uh, guy. 91 Grey Cup, you win. It's a, a Cinderella season. Well, for those of us who don't who aren't looking at the at the checks going out, I guess. Um, and then ninety two, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't there. What happened? Well, Bruce insisted on a. I'm gonna forget the line, and it's gonna be in that book, I think. You know, these fans deserve a ticket raise. Wow. And I said, Bruce, you know what? You, you, we are not at that point. I said, we need two to three years holding on the ticket prices. I'm going to do something nominal. Fine. Mind you, I did not know that his world was crumbling behind him. That, you know, one bank after another was saying, where's the money you owe us? $220 million. At the time, that was more than Michael Milliken on uh, Wall Street. I mean, it was one of the biggest white collar frauds at the time in the world. And uh, he was, he was desperate to get money. In fact, asked me to go to the Canadian banks to get a input of money, loans. And so I said, sure, I can do that because I knew a bunch of people. And so I said, send me up the debt, which in a normal situation, when you're asking for millions of dollars, you're going to have a historical uh, a record of your P&L, your balance sheet, you know, where the revenue is coming from and, and profitability, I would assume. Uh, to make sure that you could cover any type of debt. Well, he sends up this great story about the coins that he sold and the value of the LA Kings, and but not no. And my background's accountant. No real numbers. So I said, Bruce, I need like real numbers. He goes, No, go in there and sell me. So I said, Okay, you know, I'll go in there. And, you know, our two D Scotia. We have five banks in this country, but this is not like Bob's bank in, in the U.S. You know, Bob's bank will give you two million in a toaster if you got like a small <laughs> business. <laughs> so, so, it, it, and I, with all due respect to you U.S. guys too, but it was, you know, it wasn't flying here. It wasn't flying here. So I said, Bruce, I need, I need cash. Uh, you know, it's a story. I was out with my wife when. Uh, restaurant and this guy comes up and he goes you're Brian Cooper I said yeah and he goes uh, I put my hand out he goes I don't want that I want the $90,000 you owe me he's a printer uh, that had printed our collateral materials and we, we were like 120 days it's a small businessman and we didn't have the money and I kept asking Bruce for the money and he was like sideswiping me here so there was, there was some downsides to this shit so it, it uh was it a surprise to you uh, when when it all went down with McNall, or like did it start to sort of fall into place? Oh, that was what was going on. <laughs> well, I had left in '93, and uh, I found out. Uh, I mean, so I was watching from afar. Before I left, he had asked me to sell the team, and uh, so there's a guy named Gordon Craig who was a bit of a mentor to me. He started TSN, which is the uh, national uh, sport network up here and uh, I went to him and I said and I had a deal in place and then I left uh, so 
I was waiting for that deal to go through because I was, that's why Bruce owed me $320,000. And uh, the deal wasn't going through. And what someone from TSN called me and said, uh, there's something fishy going on with Bruce's numbers. And that's the first time I heard about it. And then I got a call from Wayne and I found out more. Hmm. I mean, because well, you remember Wayne was there. Bruce had done Wayne a solid, took him out of Edmonton, you know, frozen mud pit. And he, he's, you know, gave him a huge increase, opened his world to endorsements like crazy and opened the Canadian, uh, the American market to him. And, and, did, and, did, and it voted well for the NHL. But, you know, so Wayne's going to lose, you know, a couple million, maybe more. Uh, but at the same time, he felt indebted to Bruce. And so when he was finding this shit out, he felt terrible. I mean, you know, everything from Bruce used to take me into his office and show me that, you know, this is Babe Ruth's first this and this is, you know, Jesse, uh, what's his name, the runner from the Olympics. Jesse Owens. Owens. Jesse Owens. And it was all manufactured bullshit. Wow. It's pretty crazy. Like, so, they were using tea bags, the stained jerseys, to make them look real. Right. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing about that kind of stuff, yeah. It was great. Well, if you look up Bruce McNallan, and he had Merrill Lynch that do two funds based on uh, his coin collections. They were all phony. Well, yeah, he had, he had, it was other people's coin collections. Well, it was and, other people, but it was, it was shit yeah, that wasn't it was, even true. It was crazy. His, his autobiography was just, it just floored you. Like, how well, is I it? I didn't these, read it. Is it good? It's amazing. <laughs> and he, I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. It's, it's definitely, you know, post prison. He actually talks about his life in prison and, and some of the, the rough times he had in there. But like, here's a guy who, who just, he was able to get just a ton of money based on like borrowing people's coins. He was, and, a, he was a con man. And making people think that he had this stuff. And, was, you know, the banks would get, they were in so far deep. And then in order to, I think their mentality was, well, we want to be able to get our money back. So we're going to give them more money. So we get our money back. And, and it just sort of kept rolling and, and rolling. And he would get, rolling. unbeknownst to that one bank, he'd get another one. He'd, credit yep. Leonese in, in, uh, in Europe, he was into them big time. You know, and then when it goes down, I was getting calls. Like, did you know about this? And like, like, dude, he owes me money. I didn't know anything. Right. And then I see him, you know, next time I see him is eight years later. Or not, yeah, maybe eight years later, Wayne's Super Bowl party. So... Talking about uh, big money, uh, you were part of the group that helped negotiate the uh, biggest naming rights deal in sports mm -hmm. history, which was mm -hmm. with uh, Scotiabank and MLSE. What's it like being in that being in that room and negotiating uh, something uh, of, of such a huge magnitude? Well, look, you don't want to be known for spending the most money uh, for, for the naming rights. You know what, we did a tremendous amount of work before that. First of all, we had previously uh, negotiated a deal with MLS&E to be their uh, FI, financial institution sponsor. 
in that deal. Uh, so, by the way, I was there to negotiate the Air Canada deal when I was with the Raptors. Okay. Funnily enough, I found a copy of that. So I knew every clause in that deal. And 20 years come up later, and or actually uh, 14 years later, when I did the Scotiabank original deal with MLS and A, I said, when as part last minute clause, as part of this deal, if the current name, uh, naming entitlement uh, sponsor passes on it on renewal, Scotiabank would have the first right before anyone else. So that put us in good position when I knew Air Canada wasn't going to pay up the bucks. Air Canada was only paying $4 million at the time. And you're representing Scotiabank at this time? Scotiabank is a, it was a, you know what, a, they're a client of mine uh, for 12 years uh, when I was uh, at MK1, still at MKTG, but I'm not really doing that much. But um, yeah, I, I, I get, they're a client. So they have a portfolio that uh, is a, an 11 figure doll, 11 figure portfolio uh, of sponsorship. And we manage it. So we do landscape analysis of all the properties out there, competitive analysis, what the other banks are doing. We write a strategy for them and it ended up going into hockey and then we activate it for them as well. And we're in a retainer, a large retainer fee. And by the way, this company was, was you know, me and 40 something other people. I started myself, but added those people. And uh, so we wanted those naming rights. It's, it's in the middle, the heart of the biggest city in this country. Uh, it's on Bay Street, which is like Wall Street in the U.S. Uh, everyone does their hosting for hockey games, which, I mean, all the business people go to hockey games. All the people go to Raptor games. Concerts are there. One of the busiest venues in North America, 285 nights a year, other than MSG and then uh, L.A. Um, and the fourth largest market in North America. And tons of, you know, everything is broadcasting other than the music. So, you know, live from Scotiabank Arena and you get the beauty shot at the opening and you get in ice, you get, you know, so there's a lot of hosting opportunities, brand exposure. We do all their banking. So we reversed engineered it to see how much that would affect the brand health, how much we could use it for hospitality, how much you know, brand exposure that we would get and how much banking we get. So I had arranged to go in there. So the guy that uh, I negotiated against, the chief revenue officer, used to work for me. Um, in fact, hired him. So when I was at uh, the Raptors. So Dave and I, asked, we started talking early. And in order for me to get a good price, I said, you need to go out and check the market. Because what I can't do is give you a price and you go out and check it, and I'm going to lose out on this. And you check the market first, and then we'll get serious. And we checked the market, and it was tense. It was, my wife will tell you, uh, we were at our summer home, and I was on the phone every day for a long time to get this deal done. Uh, a lot of it had to do personal relationships. And as we all have, all of you have in your jobs, it's relationships. I mean, we can have all these Zoom things we want, but it's relationships. Looking the guy in the eye, knowing the guy for 25 years, knowing that I was going to deliver on a number that I said I could, knowing that I had the authority to deliver on it, uh, and that he was going to be honest with me. A lot of late night calls. Um, so the deal came down to, but to, let me be honest with you, when you say it's the largest deal, and I'm not, I'm very proud of it. 
Madison Square Garden, Citibank, or J.P. Morgan Chase, they paid uh, four years previous to our deal, which is $40 million Canadian a year. They paid $36 million a year, and they don't have naming rights on MSG. They don't have exterior signage. I mean, we're on the, um, on the highway. You guys that aren't from here, you, you get every day this like 200,000 cars that go by it every goddamn day with the brand exposure and, and, and other product articulation and all of those things. Those guys, they didn't get half of what we got and they paid 36 US a year. So I didn't feel, I wasn't shy about that. And by the way, after we did the deal and it came public, I know two other bank presidents were pissed off at them because they had them, they had BMO, uh, Bank of Montreal does their soccer team and Royal Bank does their music and they were pissed. So they would have paid 50 for this. So I didn't feel bad about it at all. Sorry, I, I get crazy on this one. <laughs> uh, what do you see the, the future for naming rights? Um, there's one that kind of jumps out at me, and that's uh, in, in Milwaukee. Uh, Miller Brewery is no longer going to hold the naming rights for Miller Park. And, and we talk about all the time here about you know naming rights fatigue and in the states you have it all the time where a bank merges and suddenly the the venue is a different name or you know like in miami the stadium has had 12 different names is there a point where where the the return just isn't going to be there because there's been so much change a hundred percent uh look there is still a benefit we did the uh, deal for scotia bank arena and then canadian tire their client of ours as well. They became at the uh, Ottawa Senators. They became it. In both of those situations, there was an uptick in their business, preference by uh, consumers to use their product, unaided recall of who, who uh, was the uh, sponsor of the team, and supported them because they were a team sponsor. So it does have a very uh, positive and significant effect. When you have a venue, and I, I did a deal uh, out in Calgary that started out as an Olympic stadium, then it went to Penn Growth, then it went to CP Airlines, then it went to uh, TELUS maybe, and then like uh, the stadium that you mentioned, it's a schizophrenic, and so there's diminishing returns. You know, people still call the Skydome Skydome. Absolutely. Not, you know what I mean? And so there is a diminishing return. So. We felt in this case with Air Canada um, that, you know, it had been there for, for uh, 20 years that this change and, and we've already seen the, by the way, the change in the business too. When Miller does those deals. And so I negotiated the deal for Molson in uh, yeah, Scotia Bank Arena as well. Those type of deals are, okay, I'm going to get $30 million worth of beer sales. I'm going to pay you X million dollars for the sponsorship. So, there's a business reason there. On the bank side, they're getting their, their banking business, but not as much as you're getting for, from uh, selling beer. So in fact, I'm renegotiating that for Molson's because the 285 events due to COVID are no longer there. I want my money back. Oh, wow. I didn't even think of stuff like that. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm doing, it for, doing it for three clients right now. And it's millions. So, do you think, um, do you see like the, to me, the landscape in Canada is a little bit different than in the States is that you have a very small number of companies that are, that are holding the big naming rights, right? Like you have mm -hmm. 
Rogers that has what three spots and you have Scotiabank, which has a few spots and uh, you have it's, it's BMO. Telco. It's, it's telco Bell. and financial. Yeah. It's telco and financial institutions right now. But you know what? Over time, look, it used to be beer companies and previous to that, it was cigarette companies. Uh, but anything, you know, you, you'll get auto companies that come in as well. Ford, uh, down in Detroit, Fort, is it Ford Stadium? Well, the Pontiac Silverdome. And so, yeah, Fort Field. And so it, 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 it goes in cycles. And it helps so, that the owner's name is Ford, too. Yeah. <laughs> but so you'll see if, and look, we, when we did this, we did landscape analysis of all of them, actually globally, uh, because, you know, the European uh, teams themselves are doing some very good work. In fact, our company, MKGD, MKTG Canada is consulting to MKTG Global because there's a couple of them coming up there. And, and us little guys in Canada have more experience. We've done, out of that little office, we've done, I think, six naming rights. Wow. And they could range everything from Halifax to Niagara Falls to the Calgary Saddle Dome to Scotiabank Arena to Ottawa Senators. Not a lot of people have that, the volume of that. So, Looking at it from an even bigger perspective, um, I, I think it's over the last 20 years, we've seen this just unprecedented growth in sports, whether it's in merchandising, whether it's ticket sales, whether it's player salaries, whether it's coaches' salaries. Where do you think or do you think there's going to be a downturn where some of these astronomical numbers level off or are well, we going to see players making a billion dollars a year at some look, point let me tell you look look how much how many baseball players i mean the, the the average price of baseball players now it's crazy uh let me tell you the technology is changing so until you know so it's going to be more user pay you know we're going to be watching on on our ipads and you're going to be paying for every game uh, because i think and they'll give so many games to the broadcasters. So as the technology changes, uh, I think it is it will continue on an upward spiral because they'll charge us. And the the thing about sports is, you know, why are we all here? It's 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 an escape for us. Like right now, I'm wondering, is my money on the Ravens doing well over Dallas as we speak? So in gaming, I, I sit on the board of directors of a company called The Score. I don't know if you know The Score uh, app. It's a uh, number two uh, sporting app be, uh, behind uh, ESPN. And it's now they have gaming, right? So there's four states we're in now. There's 21 that have legislation to, to go into gaming. I don't know if you guys bet for fun, but, uh, you know, between uh, fantasy and, and, you know, just betting, straight betting, that is another interest, another revenue stream that will be the biggest revenue stream. Cannabis legalization is going to be another revenue stream that's going to be coming into those arenas as well. Uh, you know, it is, it is, uh, and, and, and that's happening, you know, they're already in discussions up here uh, with cannabis companies, but the, the legislation has not let it uh, allowed to have marketing, but that will come down the road. And so, oh, it really? Is, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, well, it's, it's no different than, you know, two guys going to a game and, you know, having five beers and getting silly. Well, and, I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I just, yeah. And as, as I spoke to, you know, one of the guys at the F&B, they said, none of our bartenders had a 
break up a fight between two stoners. <laughs> well, there was a, a there was a cannabis company that was all set to buy the naming rights for um, I don't even know what it's called now, but where the Broncos play, and they were mm -hmm. ready to, right, to pay yeah. cash. That's mm -hmm. right. And basically, the team said, "No, that's not really the image we're looking it's for." Not, it's not. The timing isn't right yet. Not ready yet. Yeah. No. No, it's not ready yet. So look, I think I think the dolls will spiral. Like any business, though, I mean, at some point they may say, "Okay, enough's enough," but I don't think sports going away. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at through this pandemic, we were dying for some type of sport to come on play. You've been listening to our show, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but but it, it's been true. I mean, and like you know, all of us, we were watching, you know, Korean baseball, Korean baseball, Korean baseball, and yeah, German soccer golf games, and like yeah, crazy shit, ping pong. You know, it's it's it like crazy, but uh, you know, it's an escape. Have Have you been paying attention at all to what's going on in Major League Baseball right now with? certain owners coming out saying they're losing millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that because uh, as a Phillies guy, I'm really, really angry. I won't get into it <laughs> on the show. Well, but, I, yeah, but, yeah, your yeah, perspective every, every just set in, me straight. Well, every owner's in a different situation. Right. And they, they may be crying wolf. But at the same time, there's a capital appreciation of your franchise value going up. And when that is superseded by your expenses that's when you can cry because you're going to get all your money back plus more he didn't brian didn't pull me back from the other side at all no <laughs> that wasn't me. the answer dan was looking he, for brian. no that is exactly what i was hoping he would say because i i'm so over again i'm not it's not about that right now and these guys know i've been typing them private messages all week <laughs> cursing the Be guy, honest. the owner, the just the one guy in the Phillies. Thanks, thanks, Brian. You've you've led us to like two more I've months. Opened of, the door. You yeah. oh, <laughs> just no. Philly really bashing no, no, for no, Dan. No, no, no. I'm, I, well, you know what? I'm going to tell you. Look at the Forbes valuations in the list over the last six years. This is the double-digit change, significant change in valuations every single year. Yeah. And then then look what see what their payroll went from. And let me tell you, I can guarantee you, they're making way more on the <laughs> capital appreciation. It just made me so much matter. <laughs> I'm not gonna listen. I when we were going into this, I didn't mention this in the private messages. I, I was like, the one question I'm really gonna ask Brian is about this MLB thing because he's gonna know, and he's well, gonna I don't know. Well, no, he's Dan, he's gonna I, have I an inside from, look. I mean, well, I know from reporting to the boards of yeah ownership groups yeah. what is being said around the table yeah. uh, and so yeah i know from that perspective but i don't I, know that situation i knew you were either gonna be like listen you can't be angry or you were gonna either go the other way and that is not what i i did not expect that at all and i was like okay i won't bother you guys with it that's all i the only i have one other question for him later and and uh, i'll save that or whatever you want to well, do well we'll do it dan because uh we're, we've come up over an hour so we okay. i mean i oh, could yeah. listen to you all night brian but i could i uh, it's nah. been a great interview and don't mind me i got two hours of sleep it has nothing to do with this interview I've been trying to hide the yawns and it's not you. The, the, it's been a fascinating, it's been great to listen to. Um, 
So this, <laughs> the other show Paul and I do is a hockey podcast. And uh, mm. being that you were involved with, the, uh, for, with Toronto sports for so long, mm-hmm. um, what, how do I ask this question? Their reverse retro jersey is garbage. So I'm going to ask. So the way I'm going to. Another uh, know the gimmick. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I was going to ask. Uh, how much are is marketing involved with jersey design or do they have not a say at all at what goes out the door in that way no here's what marketing says you know what we need to put out a there's a certain level of pure collectors that no matter what you put out there and they say you know what we need to the marketing budget comes in we got to increase our revenue by six percent how are we going to do that and so you know what well let's we have to apply the league you have to apply to the league like uh, I think it's 18 months or two years in advance. And then your manufacturer, in this case, I think it's uh, Nike does it. You have to, for the authentics. And then fanatics, you have to speak to fanatics as well. And so the marketing guys, all they say is we need a new revenue stream. They don't choose the design. I mean, in the end, they they come and they say, hey, what do you think? You're going, yeah, great. Do you think it's gonna sell? (laughs) They'll they'll do some focus group uh, work to make sure that it's gonna sell. They hit the 6% increase, and that's it. Uh, One thing I I got to tell you this, though. Uh, All of these businesses have become, and I do have to go, all of these businesses have become so sophisticated and using analytics and data and customer customer research and focus groups. It's not like when I first started out, it was like the Leafs, you know, you kick the doors open in October, (laughs) and they sell all the tickets out, you shitty popcorn, and... You know, that shit's over. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. the competition, the, comp- the entertainment competition, whether it's Netflix, you know, I, I'm just going to stay home and watch this, or, you know, selling a ticket and getting to a game now is difficult. Wow. And so you, you have to do everything. Wow. Go ahead, Paul. End it. Yeah. Brian, yeah, I, I, like I said, I could listen to this for hours. I'm fascinated by this stuff, and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it too. Uh, before we let you go, Brian, do you want to – let our listeners know if they would like to follow you on social media or where they can find you or follow. You know what? I'm not, I'm not very good on social media. Canada group is my Twitter handle. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't do much on it at all, to be honest with you. In fact, my daughter says that just give it up. Uh, but <laughs> probably I kind right. of wish my, my daughters would say that to me. But, She's okay. probably right. Yeah. 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 I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm in the, I'm in that stage of transitioning. Like, uh, you know, I've had my time. I'm going to, like, sort of start to relax now and do the things I should be doing. So, well, beautiful. Okay. Well, well, thanks for joining us tonight, Brian. We appreciate it very much and enjoyed the conversation immensely. Thank Great you very guys. much. Thank Great you, sir. To see you guys. Thank you very much. Greatly Have appreciate a good one. it. Thank you. Okay. Okay, that was Brian Cooper. We want to thank you. That was a – I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was a fascinating – conversation i i could we could have done like another two-parter i totally thought he was gonna pull me back over on the other side about hating on john middleton the phillies but he was like oh (laughs) that guy oh shit Uh, what do i do all right so so this is usually the part of the show well used to be i can't say it usually is because we're nine months into lockdown now um Still shorter than part of the show where we like to recap our visits. Still shorter than the time. Don't get don't get a none. Much of a chance to. Did anyone have any sporting journeys, stadium journeys, as it were? I I didn't have any journeys. (laughs) Yeah, I had a three-day journey. I didn't leave my house. 
I went to the buffet called The Journey, which spot on sushi and all sorts of stuff. I walked Buffets. behind my... Do you still have those things? Oh, my gosh. I, took the dog... I would not go to a buffet right now if you paid me. I took the dog... I wouldn't go to a buffet before COVID. Do those? Do they still have sneeze guards, or did they take those out? And, well, like, what, the what they have at, everywhere. What they have at the Journey Buffet, it's a classy place, but what they have there is the people serve you the food. They they sit in front okay, of the buffet. That's a little better. So you don't pick your food, yes. And you wear gloves, and you have to have a mask on when you get the food. Well, that's so. bullshit, because right before COVID happened, the, the I almost gave away the, the the store across the street had these great little tiny corn dogs at their buffet i can't get them now because they won't serve anything at the buffet i would really like a good corn dog yeah i went to i had a slice of pizza at the new york place they didn't Son have the garlic bitch. or the don't, uh, don't do it guys pepper. don't do it stay yeah. away stay away from don't the people do coming. It. don't do don't it okay do so it. dan, dan where can our listeners follow you online you can follow me at roy rogers not using the fixins bar at uh dan line <laughs> they don't have it out they don't have it out Oh, well, come they on. They don't have that fixings out. I'm just happy to go to Roy Rogers to get the roast beef. I, I have, I'm subjected to uh, Arby's. I didn't whatever know they're putting. This, I was going to mention Roy Rogers. It was going to start a whole other thing. <laughs> oh, Roy Rogers. That's my Bob's favorite yeah. place. Yeah, the 7-Eleven's up my way. Don't even have, like, you can't even get a Big Gulp anymore. Can you get a Slurpee still? No. They, they always close. Well, see, well, now the, 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 the freestyle machine, I can still get my Mellow Yellow Zero. Thank God, because if I didn't get that – I, there would have been three Damn homicides. Bad. No, you would have had three homicides already. I would have been in jail for this whole COVID thing because I would have been like, I would have been mad. Mellow Yellow Zero. I have never heard of that. I'll be honest. Uh, you could get at the, the freestyle. Yeah, I've heard of it. So good. Mountain uh, Dew, my ass. Sprite Orange. Mountain uh, Dew. Right. Where was I? Where was I? Oh, yeah. Mark. We're finding out. Mark. Mark, where can our listeners follow you online? I have no idea. Oh, Ballpark Hunter <laughs> on YouTube. I. <laughs> Recap my visit to uh, Whitaker Bank Park in Lexington. That's the latest video on my YouTube channel at Ballpark Hunter. Also on Twitter, where uh, I'm anticipating uh, news with minor league baseball. So hopefully. Tomorrow, hopefully, right? Uh, it's supposed to be tomorrow. Well, we heard tomorrow a few times already. We right? have an office poll going, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see who's who, right. Who will be the, the fabulous 120? Yes. Who will, who will be heartbroken? Who will survive? Who will join Stan Island in the Appalachian League? <laughs> With their – yes, Allen's suing. Okay, we'll see what happens. We'll have more lawsuits. We'll talk about that with a lawyer next time. There you go. Hey, I Dave. would really – Oh, go ahead. All right, we're both one ahead. Dave, where can I listen to follow you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Profan9. Uh, literary Journey continues. We were talking big money today. I just finished uh, Hockey Fight in Canada, which was all about – um, negotiations for broadcast rights for uh, the NHL where Rogers completely shut out Bell. That was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm into the last temptation of Rick Pitino right now. Um, that's yeah. College basketball is dirty. Oh yes. <laughs> Five dollars. If you know where Rick Pitino had his first college basketball coaching job. To Providence. Uh, no Boston university. Nope. Brown. Johns Hopkins. Oh. No. Okay. No, it's not special. And you can follow my stadium journeys. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Information like that. No. Yes. Right. Go ahead, done. Uh, actually, I do want to take a, a second and do a little publicity, a little shout out. Uh, my, a friend of mine uh, put together a children's book. It's called The Hard Road to Victory. And it's about the, uh, the Chatham Colored All-Stars, uh, which was a, a team in uh, 1934. Um, and one of these sort of quasi-traveling Negro League 
type teams. Um, so he just, uh, he's from Chatham, which is just west of, of Kitchener, uh, between basically London and Windsor. So and um, right. that's where he's from. And uh, one of his goals is to get uh, the Chatham All-Stars into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. So if you are interested in checking out Hard Road to Victory, uh, you can find it on Amazon. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it. Uh, proceeds, some of the proceeds go to the, uh, uh, the historical foundation for the team in Chatham. Awesome. Sounds like a worthy, worthy cause to support to me. Right, and uh, when you're done purchasing your Chatham All-Star book, you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. And don't forget to check out our website when you're done listening to the podcast, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Well, like us on Facebook. You don't follow. You, you like at Stadium Journey across all our social media channels. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find the Stadium Journey podcast again by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on whatever podcast search app you use. And remember, we simulcast live every other Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern at twitch.tv slash danlaw83. Thanks once again to Brian Cooper for joining us. That was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed the heck out of it. We will return in two weeks. That'll be December 22nd. We will have our annual year-end in stadium journeying episode. This year, it's been different, that's for sure. But it's always fun to recap the year, and I think we'll have a lot of fun looking back on the, the one month we got to travel. <laughs> that's not true. We traveled two months. <laughs> yeah, until till about the beginning of March, yes. So for Dan Colachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I am Paul Baker. Until next time, pardon me while I burst into flame. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists, and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Since 2012, HIC Talk Radio has been bringing you the best of independent wrestling and wrestling on the worldwide scale with interviews and other segments now featuring the wrestling historian with Craig Legon. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. at VOCNation.com or go to your Android or iPhone and type in VOC Nation Radio Network and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcast today. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. And, of course, In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. 
What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali, to let you know you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.